Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. I want to talk about the table. In verse 5, David says in the context of this relationship that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many know when you walk through life, you will amass enemies? Can I get an amen? It just happens. Let's see if you know the Lord or not. You're going to have battles. But the Lord said, I'm going to prepare a table for you. Here we have right here a table. And I want you to notice that there are seven individuals up here. And why is that? Because David knew what it was like to be surrounded by enemies. Seven of them to be exact. So I want to briefly just describe and identify the enemies that came and sat at David's table. Follow me? First one is Saul. Show him, Saul. This is Saul right here. How many know King Saul? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 9, that King Saul, even though David was underneath him, he was his top commander, said Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He kept a jealous eye. Well, remember the story. When David beat Goliath, how many know he amassed a following? I mean, his... Facebook account, his Twitter account went like that overnight. And all these people in the nation began to follow him because he slayed a giant and he did something no one else would do, including King Saul. So Saul said, well, come here, David, because I have use for you. But in the meantime, he didn't like that the other people were following him. See, Saul's kind of account was smaller than David's. And he began to keep a jealous eye on David. What that speaks to me is, the more I read about their relationship, Saul and David, he just didn't like David. Just didn't like him. There's going to be people in your life that, that they're just not going to like you. They're, going to like, they're not going to like the way you talk. They're going to not like the way you speak. They're not going to like the way you carry yourself. They're not going to like the mannerisms. They're not going to like the attitude that you have. They're not going to like the posture that you carry. They're just, they're just not going to like you. Has anybody ever been around people like that? They, they just don't like you. But that's okay. And you don't have to be afraid of that. But the point is, there's going to be these types of enemies that are going to sit at your table. You're going to have to know how to handle them. Saul represented jealousy and envy. See, jealousy is attracted to insecurity. Saul was an insecure leader. Insecurity is the number one breeding ground for jealousy. And why is this important to identify? Because the Bible says where jealousy is present, you'll find every evil practice. Murder, anger, rage, all of that at some point or another can be produced through jealousy. So it's very important that we know how to love our enemies, but without partnering with our enemies. The difference between loving your enemy and partnering with them is that you can give them a cold cup of water to drink, and you can be a blessing in their life. But when you cross the line and begin to align your value system with their value system, and you begin to adopt their behavior and beliefs, then you cross that line and you entertain those things. And it could cause a lot of what I like to call conflict. That leads us to our second person, meet McCall. In the Bible, David had another enemy. It happened to be his wife. The married people better not be saying amen or nothing like that right now. 
Michal was David's wife, but he, she was also what? Saul's daughter. Ooh, you talking about a family dynamic. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, verse 16, when David was carrying the ark into the city of Jerusalem, it was a great celebration, tens of thousands worshiping the Lord. But when Michal, his wife, was looking from a window, saw David dancing, he took off his kingly robes, she made a statement to him, and, and it says that basically she was filled with contempt for him. In other words, she despised him because of the behavior and the actions he was doing. In other words, you're a king, David. You're a king. You don't need to be down there with the lowly people. You need to be associating yourself with the lower income or the lower class of society. Where my daddy would, my daddy didn't do that. Saul didn't do that. You shouldn't do that, David. You see how that difference a view in a marriage context can lead to much, much conflict and argument. The point is, Mikkel represents marital conflict for the married couples in the house, but also relational conflict for those who have just boyfriends or girlfriends or maybe even just in the dating phrase right now. You see, let's use jealousy as an example. Jealousy is transferable. What I mean by that is the jealousy that Saul had was transferred into his daughter. That jealousy unchecked, unheld, if it's not healed, if it's not broken up, it creates this womb of, of just dis disruption and corruption in the marriage. A professor once told us at Regent, I'll never forget it. She said, there is no such thing as marital issues in your marriage only childhood issues that were never resolved because you bring those in the context of your relationships. And here's the point on that. Every relationship at some point or another in life will become dysfunctional if Christ is not at the center. That's true in marriage. That's true in engagement, companionship, your business partner, whoever. If Christ is not somewhere active in that relationship, in the centerpiece, at some point or another, it will become dysfunctional. But I have good news for you in a little bit. David had another enemy. This is Nabal. Meet Nabal. The Bible says Nabal, in 1 Samuel 25, mocked David, and he belittled him. You see, Nabal was a wealthy man who had a lot of sheep and resources. David was running away from Saul. He's being chased by Saul, and he's running for his life. He hears that Nabal is in a town, and he needs food and sheep and animals for him and his men. So he asks him nicely, but how does Nabal respond? He responds out of harshness and anger. Harshness and anger. First uh, Samuel 25, 10 that he said, even in David's weakest moment, that verse, he says he responded to him in such a way that was not good. But what does he represent to you and I? He represents people in your life who will devalue you. How do they devalue you? They challenge your identity. How do they challenge your identity? They attack your character. Nabal attacked David's character by challenging his identity. You see, he was a mean man. He was a harsh man. It represents those people that come in our midst, in our table, that are filled with cynicism and criticalness and divisiveness. And there's just no love. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever work with somebody? There was just not an ounce of love in their heart. It's just like hard all the time. 
But you know you have to work with people like that sometimes. You, maybe they're in your family. You have to walk through that relational garbage that can come out of that. But I want you to know that if that's not happening now, sooner or later you'll find that. You'll find people who challenge who you are. They'll insult your faith. They'll insult your intelligence. They'll insult you as a person, as an individual. But you will have a choice. Am I going to respond as the world does? Or am I going to wait on the Lord? Come on. Another enemy, the fourth and fifth one is Amnon and Tamar. They go together. Meet Amnon and meet Tamar. Amnon was one of David's sons. Tamar was his daughter. The Bible says in uh, 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 2, and in verse 14, Amnon lusted after his sister. This was his half-sister. But Amnon desired her, the Bible says, lusted after her. So he said, he, or he thought so, he loved her. It says, it uses this words, he loved her. But in order to show his version of love, he lied to her to get her into the room so he could take advantage of her sexually. And that's what ends up happening. He rapes his half-sister. It's terrible. But it happens. And then Tamar, now, what is she feeling? Of course, vic- victimized guilt and shame. So Amnon represents abuse that will come and sit at your table in life sometimes. See, some of you have been abused. You know what I'm talking about. You've had to walk through physical, maybe not physical, maybe verbal, maybe some form of manipulation from a spouse or a marriage that you used to have or a friend that you used to have. Maybe you've been under some form of abuse Mentally, that really sets us back. It really hurts us. It, it opens up wounds, and it, and, it, and it tears us down, and it represents that. Many of us have, have to walk through that at some point or another, have walked through that. And tomorrow, on the other side of the coin, represents the shame and the guilt that comes from that. You know, shame and guilt is designed to do a specific thing. It's to hold you back and to hold you still, to, to keep you stuck in your life. You know, the Bible says Jesus forgives us of our sin. The blood covers all of our sins. But oftentimes we struggle with the shame and guilt even after we've been forgiven. Because that keeps us down. But we have to struggle through that sometimes. We have to wrestle through that. The point I'm I'm wanting you to see is that David had a point. He had something to say about enemies. Do you see that? The last two at the head of the table over here represents Absalom and Joab. Where's Absalom at? There you go. Show you that. That's Absalom and Joab. Absalom represents rebellion. That was David's other son. You could see some conflict happening in his life. Well, this was his other son. Absalom did not like the way David dealt with this situation because Tamar was his sister. And so when Amnon took advantage of his sister, David didn't deal with it the way Absalom wanted him to deal with it. So then this thing arises in Absalom that I can do it better than my daddy. And I should be the king of this land. He's not fit because he's not giving justice and he's not giving these things in this situation. So what Absalom does is he takes control of the kingdom by going and talking to people behind his daddy's back. And he says statements like this, if only I were the judge of the land and only if I were in charge, then I would give equal justice to all. I would promote equality around every sphere of society if I only had an opportunity. 
But there's a reason Absalom wasn't the king, wasn't. God didn't choose him. He chose David. But we have to be aware and remember this one thing. It represents rebellion. How does rebellion start in our daily lives? It starts through resistance. You ever walked into a meeting at work or your house or family, and you could just feel the resistance in the atmosphere? Resistance is the seed to rebellion. It's the seed to rebellion. Rebellion fully grown looks like you taking vengeance in your own hands. But I want you to hear one thing. Vengeance is never ours to take, and the sheep cannot take the rod out of the shepherd's hand. Vengeance or even the demand for humanitarian justice, it begins very small. But we have to know these things that come and sit at the table. The last enemy, and I want to connect this to Psalm 23, is Joab. Joab. Joab was David's most trusted commander of all the armies. For years and years and years, Joab led the nation of Israel into military exploits that enlarged their territory and that expanded their borders and strengthened the kingdom of their government. But Joab had a fault. Joab didn't also like the way David ran the kingdom. So Joab when he heard that Solomon was going to take his place as king, he disagreed with that opinion because he thought Adonijah, which was another one of David's sons, should be the king instead of Solomon. So Joab goes behind David's back and begins to betray him and then begins to talk to Adonijah and say, you're the one God has called and anointed. And he starts this basically coup to take over. But he stopped in his tracks. Joab represents betrayal. Wherever you're at in your life, at some point or another, you're going to have to walk through relational betrayal. It's just part of life. But here's the deal. You don't have to be afraid of it. And you don't have to run from it. There is a way that you could walk right through it. If Jesus had to go through it with Judas, you and I will have to go through it too. But here's the deal. There's a way we can go through it with our hearts remaining tender and not being destroyed. And not being destroyed. Real quick, I need seven more volunteers to come up here right now. I need you to stand in this corner. Any seven volunteers right now. I need seven people, men or women, right here to come right here and stand in this corner. We're going to start connecting this, the dots here. If you guys can hang there for one moment. Seven volunteers. You see, when you put all of this together, Psalm 23 says, in the presence of my enemies, you will prepare a table before me. Well, here's the deal. What is the purpose of the enemies at the table of your life? What is their function? Here's the deal. The purpose of these enemies is to stop you. It is to keep you from being effective for Christ in the world. They are there to work to silence your voice, to minimize your impact in the world, to restrict and restrain your ability to love and forgive. They're there to hold you down, to keep you boxed in, to put a label on your life. They are there to steal, kill, and destroy anything that you can bring that is good in this world. And they're always vying for your attention. And that's why when you're wrestling with these things on a natural level, you're exhausted. Because these things will exhaust you. They will drain you. They will keep you down. But I have good news for you. When you make the Lord your shepherd, 
When you make the Lord your shepherd and you give Jesus authority in your life to direct your next step, to give you guidance and protection, then these things are shut down. And you know what that looks like? Where abuse has happened, you are now to introduce goodness into your conflict. I want you to get behind everybody and just put a hand on them just like that. You're, in, you're able to introduce the goodness of God, the character of God, the mercy of God in the place of your weakness, into the place of your conflict. And what is the goodness of God? He is so beautiful and awesome. He says, he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so what's happening is now where betrayal has come in, where abuse has come in, where hardships has come in, now mercy overrides, come on, overrides the failures of your life. Goodness overrides the threats and the betrayal. They can't handle no more. And all of a sudden they are weighed down because goodness and mercy are keeping them down. He anoints my head with oil. Goodness and mercy in this unending. That's why there's more than one. Because there's no ending to his goodness. So no matter how deep the conflict, no matter how deep the wound in your life, no matter how long the generational curse, his goodness is more powerful. Because his love triumphs over hate. His mercy overrules injustice. His goodness is better than disloyalty. His companionship is greater than any unfaithfulness that can come in our lives. He'll never leave us or forsake us because he's our shepherd and he's feeding us with the knowledge and the presence of who he is. I want to show you something about this thing. It, it just doesn't stop there. You see, what starts happening now is because he's leading your life and guiding your life, even though these things are warring, Goodness and mercy are now putting them at bay. But they're just not minimizing them. They're just not holding them down. They're just not silencing their voice and impact in your life. Something else begins to happen. Okay, enemies at the table, you got to be animated and jump in with me. I want you to go like this. You got you to do it. You got to do it like that. Keep your eyes on me for three seconds. Look at their faces. You see what's happening? It's because now the enemies are realizing something. I'm not responding like the world does. I'm not responding like people do when they lash out in anger in outfits of rage when their bad day falls apart. I'm not going to that level. And now the enemies are now captivated and under the spell of love that I'm carrying into the environment. Because the atmosphere is now coming under the presence of heaven because I'm not responding the way my daddy responded, but I'm responding the way Jesus wants me to respond. So that's why in Proverbs 16, 7, he says, when a man's ways, come on, when a man's ways please the Lord, he'll make even his enemies. He'll make even his enemies at peace. Now they're under the spell because they're captivated to what's happening inside of you. Your enemies are at peace with you. They're at peace with you. 
They're not coming against your life anymore. They can't. They can't. And that's how you can be attacked with every accusation under the sun, but not lose your peace and rest. I got good news. It doesn't stop there. It goes one step further. I want my goodness and mercy angels. Can you walk all the enemies down here and sit them down? The seven enemies, I need you to sit down right here and face this congregation. I just want to show it to you. Not only are they held down, and not only do they lose the place at your table in life, the Bible says something else begins to happen. The Bible says in Psalm 110, verse 1, sit down at my right hand. Can you bear with me? Okay, you ready? Until, you got to hold them now. I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Good job. Because listen to me. You sit on that seat of mercy. Remember those few weeks ago we talked about the mercy seat. It said through the power given to Christ Jesus, it exerted him from the dead and raised him far above rule, authority, and powers in this world and set him on the seat. That's the seat of mercy. So when you and I step into the mercy of God and we don't repay evil with evil, but we overcome it with good and love and we don't respond in that way, then we are seated in heavenly places and now these things not only are minimized, not only are shut down, but my God, they become the elevation to your promotion. One more time. Can you do it, Samuel? One more time. One more time, buddy. See, I'm at rest. Mike, you son of a gun that the bills ain't paid. I'm at rest. He's my shepherd. Green pastures, still waters. Oh, man, my life's falling apart. It don't matter. My wife's about to walk out the door. It don't matter. My marriage is falling apart. It doesn't matter. My bank account is zero, but I'm still the wealthiest man. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Jesus. We have this mentality that we, God is going to hit the delete button on our document and all these enemies are going to disappear out of our life. But it don't happen that way. Welcome to life, right? But the reality is if we get this thing and let the Lord shepherd our life, elevate him to that place, then what does he do is he uses your enemies to elevate you, to propel you, to promote you, to go above and beyond what you could have ever imagined your life could have been like. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Let me tell you what it looks like and what it means. It means jealousy becomes the pathway 
to your deliverance. It means abuse becomes the highway to your holiness. It means betrayal and jealousy and all those things become the doorway to your calling. It means all the other things become the highway to your destiny, the roadway to your victory. All those things can't stop you anymore. And they become the path to the next assignment in your life. Jesus. So where the enemies, if we can get that out of our mind, that they're there to serve us, they're there to help us, and actually position us into greater glory than we could ever imagine. You guys can all be seated. Thank you so much. Give them a hand. Last few minutes, I want to speak from my heart. You might be here visiting today and be like, dude, you are crazy. What are you talking about? My boss, who I hate, is going to promote me, you know. God can do the impossible. You see, David had to walk through that, y'all. And so did Jesus, because his table looked the same way the night before he died. So this is something we will all have to go through. But here's the deal. For me personally, I know I lived it, and I went through it. Still go through it. It's okay. I reflected on this, and I remember there were times in my life where I was every one of those things at that table, filled with jealousy, filled with disappointment because of how my life turned out. Addicted to crack. No hope for a future. I was sharing last night, you know, I don't know if any of you, I hope not, but, you know, before I knew God, I had been arrested many times, and I actually walked into court one time shackled. And I don't know if that described to you what it's like to be shackled when you walk into a courtroom. They, they shackle your wrists and they shackle your ankles. And you can't even walk normal. You have to do a shuffle. Because they're so hard and they're tight. And you're so, you're so bound. I was remembering that because that's the condition that I was in. All these things feasted on my life at my table. I tried to handle them in my own strength, but it never worked. Everybody knows that my story here. All of you know my mom and dad here. But I want to share something about my sister who's here today. She probably forgot, but I didn't. When I was in the Marine Corps, and I was literally about gone. I mean, I was gone. But it was right before the end when I was really one of my worst moments. I had left the base one night. I was already under supervision. I had went out to town, and I had went and got $300 worth of crack. I had stolen money from some of my friends and got high, and I stayed up all night. I had been up for about two days. I was supposed to be at work, checked in. I never went, I never went back to the barracks. That, that morning, I get in my car, and I go back to base, and I just decided not to go to work. And so I was tired. The drug wore off. The high wore off. And I parked my car in an empty parking lot by the water, and I passed out. 
Uh, my sister lives in New York, and I didn't know her and my dad had been talking because they were deeply concerned with where my life was heading. So my sister's good for surprise trips. So she did a surprise trip and came down with my dad. They went to visit me at where I should be, and I wasn't there. So that day, they start looking for me, and they find me in the parking lot strung out of my car. I remember my sister knocking on my window to wake me up, in a, and I was just in a stupor. And I didn't, I didn't know how to react to that, and here's why. You know, at that time, my mom and dad, we, we warred all the time. You know, we fought tooth and nail physically, verbally. We, we didn't really have much of a relationship. But I could always go to my sister and talk to her, even when I was messed up. You know, she, we always had that connection. But there was something different about this time because when I saw her, I had to confront that part because I saw the concern in her eyes. And I knew her coming there. She was deeply concerned with my life. And either I had to change or I had to push her away. And that day I pushed her away. And they tried to confront me and love on me. And, and I just said, get away. I don't need you. And I went on. But thank God. Thank God, three months later, I was in a faith-based program where my life began to change because I met Jesus. But I will never forget that day. And I just want to honor you for that, Brandy. Because she saw me at that state when I was right here. But here's the good news, guys. Mm. When I begin to drift into the place when I was at this faith-based program, and I said, I just don't, I just don't want to go to church. I just don't want to grace the doors. I just don't want to read the Bible. I just don't want to go through the motions. But if this thing is really real, if it's really real, then I want all of it because I was like all or nothing. And God got a hold of me. And I made a decision that very day. And you know what my decision was? God, you are going to shepherd my life from here on out. And wherever you lead me, I will go. And wherever you follow. And you know what began to happen? He began to shepherd me through 10 years of crack cocaine addiction. He began to counsel me through homosexuality and selling my body for $10. He began to walk me through the systemic cycles of depression that I was going through, the isolation. He began to walk me through the various degrees of abuse and pain and suffering that I had been through. And he began to feed me with love and joy and peace. He began to feed me with forgiveness and mercy in his presence. And then I began to change. Then I began to understand what's important in my life. My family's important. The people around me are important. I began to understand and see what life is really all about. God became real. He became real. And you know me, I don't talk about this much, but to boast on Christ and not me. That shepherd led me through that recovery program successful. 
He led me through two years of college education successfully. Another four years of college education successfully. He led me through my master's. He's leading me right now through a doctorate. He's leading me to my wife of 10 years. He's led me to my five beautiful children. He shepherded me through all of those things. And for 14 years, I have been free, 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 free. Stand up with me. Come on. Freedom. Jesus. Freedom. He's the real thing. He's the real thing. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. Holyfield. He's better than Jack Daniels. He's better than Jim Beam. He's better than a blunt. He's better than a line of coke. He's better than a hit of meth. He's better than pills, opioids. He's better than Playboy. He's better than Hustler. He's better. He's better. He's better. Woo. He will heal your divorce. He will heal your brokenness. He will heal every wound. He will be your father where your father failed. He will be your mother where your mother failed. He'll be the sister you never had. He'll be the brother you never had. He'll be the family you always long for. But the choice is yours today. Will you make him the shepherd? Will you make him the shepherd? Go ask the worship team to come up. Whew. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's just begin to thank him, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you guys could go just begin playing, stand with me, please. I just feel the Lord wants to minister to people right now. I, I feel the shepherd is in the house. The shepherd is in the house. And I want to be the messenger today to tell you that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No matter what you're going through and no matter what you're battling, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. He's going to take care of you today. But sometimes it comes at a cost. And I want to challenge us to respond to that. So I just feel like if you're here this morning and something is stirring inside of you, you can identify with the wounds and the hurts that you've been carrying. And maybe you've not made the Lord your shepherd. Maybe he's not the shepherd of your life. That's okay. I went through it many years. But then there came a day. And maybe that day's today. So I, I just want to give an opportunity first. If you don't know the Lord, 
here today and he's not the shepherd of your life, I want to invite you forward right now. I want you to invite you out of your seat to come on down where we can pray with you. He's going to be leading your life. If that's you here, come on down when you get a moment. Come on down. But there's other people here today that you've been knowing the Lord, but you've been battling. You've been battling. And there has been resistance. There has been so many things. I feel like the shepherd is here to encourage you and to love you and to literally roll the burden off of you. So if you're here today too and you need a touch from the shepherd and you say, Jesus, I want you to shepherd me. I want you to shepherd me through this divorce. I want you to shepherd me through my children that are going astray. I want you to shepherd me through my career that I'm not happy with. I want you to shepherd me through the finances that are not coming in. Come on up right now. Let's take a moment and let's just Let's just seek the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you right now, Lord. We welcome you right now. Just want you to begin to line up here next to each other. I feel, I feel that there's something that needs to be released right now. I hear the Lord say, don't resist. Don't resist grace. Don't resist it right now. There's an opportunity for you to be free. There's an opportunity for you to lay something down that you've never laid down before. I, I want to pray. I want them to worship. I'm just going to pray over us. Those in the seat, just begin to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you right now. And we come before you. And Lord, we want you to be our shepherd. We desire you to be our shepherd. Jesus, would you lead our life? Would you guide our life today, Lord? Lord, forgive us of all the hurt and the pain that we've been carrying. Forgive us of the sarcastic attitudes. Forgive us of the rebellious perspectives we've had. Forgive us, Lord, of any criticalness, even towards our enemy. And Jesus, we welcome your goodness. We welcome your mercy right now. We welcome you, Lord. Shepherd us, Lord. Shepherd our church. Shepherd us, Father. Shepherd our lives right now, Lord. We're in need of you. We're in need of you, Lord. We've tried everything and it doesn't work. We turn to you. Your word says, return to me and I will return to you. I hear the Lord say, return to me this morning. Some of you have drifted away from God. God is saying, return to me this morning. Return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. I will return to your family and your children. I will restore what has been broken. I will repair what has been damaged. The Lord says, turn to me this morning and I will release healing in the place of your hurt. I will release joy in the place of your depression. Right now, depression is being broken off in the room. Anxiety being broken off right now in the room. Just begin to engage him wherever you are. There's a breaking happening right now. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way, Lord. Deliver us, God. Deliver us, God. Make us new, Lord. Give us your passion, Lord. 
give us your purpose, your sense of direction and destiny, God. We long for you, God. We miss you, God. We miss you, Holy Spirit. We long for you, God, to lead us. We long for you to take the lead in our career. We long for you to lead the direction that you're leading us, God. We long for you today, God.
I just want to give one more moment. If you're here today and you've never made the Lord of your life, would you slip your hand up? Is there anyone here today and you've never made the Lord of your life, but today's your day? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is with you. He's leading your life. And He's going to fight in your behalf. So I just want to encourage you today that the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not be in want. He's going to make you lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead you to beside quiet waters. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. For his rod and staff will be with you today. For his name's sake, he will protect you. And yes, he will prepare a table even in the presence of your enemies. But know this today, that you have been anointed. You have been released with God's goodness and mercy to follow you out of these doors, to follow you into your job, to follow you back into your family. You are not alone. He is with you. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.